Hello, listeners. On today's episode of Microlink, we will be looking at the British Columbia curse in federal politics in our history section. Later in the episode, we will have an interview with the erotic performer and OnlyFans star, Clover. I'm your host, Jonah Van Driesen, and let's dive right in. British Columbia and Greater Vancouver in particular are very important battlegrounds in Canadian politics. The city has many seats, and if you want a decent chance at forming a majority government, you have to have a strong showing in the province. However, those who devote too much energy to the province often lose, and those who hail from the province, while often rising high in politics, often find that disaster follows. There are multiple examples of this throughout Canadian history. The only leader to win a national election while representing British Columbia in Parliament was our first Prime Minister, John A. Macdonald. Following a series of scandals that forced him to resign from office in 1874, Macdonald had run on a platform of uniting the nation through the railroad during the 1878 election. He ran in this election to represent the city of Victoria, becoming its first MP and using the feat and his chosen riding as an example of how he would unite the country. The move paid off, and the Conservatives won in British Columbia in every election until 1896. No federal party leader hailed from British Columbia for another 80 years. After a failed bid for a seat in his home province of Saskatchewan, the NDP's first leader, Tommy Douglas, ran in the riding of Burnaby Coquitlam in the 1963 election. Despite winning his seat, the NDP lost seats overall in the parliament, enabling the Liberals to have a stronger mandate. While the NDP would slightly recover in the 1965 election, when Pierre Trudeau became Prime Minister in 1968, his national popularity crushed Douglas and the NDP, and Douglas lost his seat. Burnaby once again became the home of a federal NDP leader when Jagmeet Singh was elected as MP for Burnaby South in 2019. However, the Vancouver curse continued, with Singh and the NDP losing half of their seats. As you're starting to see, Burnaby and BCIT are directly linked to the curse. In 1979, in his bid for a fourth term, Pierre Trudeau became the first sitting prime minister to visit BCIT while campaigning for local candidates in Greater Vancouver. During his visit, Trudeau was awarded honorary membership in the BCITSA. He also pledged to support the expansion of residences for BCIT students. However, as you can probably guess by now, Trudeau went on to lose the election. Luckily for BCIT, the residences were still completed. This series of events cemented Burnaby, BCIT, Vancouver, and British Columbia as a major political battleground in Canadian politics. In the 1984 election, Prime Minister John Turner chose to run in Vancouver, he was the only Liberal elected west of Manitoba in that election and led the Liberal Party to its worst result in history at the time. Prime Minister Kim Campbell, the first and only Prime Minister to be born and raised in British Columbia, lost both her re-election bid for her Vancouver seat and the Prime Ministership in 1993, reducing the Progressive Conservative Party to just two seats. Well, no one can really explain the BC curse, the reality is that no prime minister has won an outright majority since 1980 without a strong showing in British Columbia. And now for our interview with Clover. 
This is part one of a two-part interview, and the second part will air in a month. What brought you into the industry that you work in? Sure. Um, well, I guess sort of what brought me into it was what I did beforehand. Um, I got into making ASMR videos on YouTube um, back when I was in high school. Um, and uh, unfortunately, even back then, I, I had men who wrote me and asked me to make um, erotic videos. And obviously, I, I didn't do anything like that back then. Um, but by the time I turned 19, my partner at the time um, and I, we were going through a bit of a hard time financially. Um, I was having trouble paying rent and buying food. And so I decided to um, take a few men up on their offer, basically. Um, and I started making erotic content um, that way. Um, fast forward several years, um, and what I do has kind of changed a little bit. Um, I've learned a lot. Um, but, but yeah, so that's, that's how I got started. What do you enjoy about uh, your work? Um, I think what I enjoy the, mo uh, the most is the freedom that I get from being self-employed. It's really nice being able to pick your own hours. I've met a lot of really interesting people, um, both um, like customers, but also other sex workers online. Um, and another thing that I really like is sort of the journey of getting better at my job, so becoming a good photographer or um, becoming good at using Photoshop. Um, and, and I guess the last thing would be, um, I, I personally find my job to be very empowering. It makes me feel strong. Um, I feel proud of it. I, if I can follow up on that, I find that mm -hmm. really interesting um, mm -hmm. because so often uh, people who work in sex work or people who sell erotic content mm -hmm. are stigmatized uh, by society and certain people. Um, and yeah. it, and so. I, I like the word empowering. It's very interesting to me. Mm -hmm. So can you can you ex tell me how it makes you feel empowered and maybe give some ex examples of that empowerment if you feel comfortable? Sure. Yeah, of course. I, I mean, I, I think the thing that about sex work is that it's often portrayed as, as being like um, the opposite of empowering. It's they, they often say it like, oh, it's a it's an insecure woman who needs attention, right? Who who isn't comfortable with who she is and she needs to be validated through sexuality or something like that. Um, for me, it's sex is, is everywhere, and for many many decades you know women have been sexualized without their permission it's been all over movies it's all over advertisements and usually women aren't actually being benefited by those things at least they, they weren't before so it was just simply you know a, a man making money off of sexualizing a woman's body i find it empowering because um it's my sexuality i am choosing to do this i am benefiting monetarily by it um and yeah, it's. Uh, I, I think it's also kind of a, a, a screw you to old ideals where women need to be, um, you know, uh, conservative. They need to hide themselves, and if they don't, they're considered bad or not worthy of love or something like that. So I'm kind of taking power in my own sexuality, which is something that hasn't been allowed for many, 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 many years. That's great. Um, <laughs> Taking the flip side of that, are there parts of the work that you dislike? Um, yes. Um, besides, you know, I, I really dislike uh, the stigma around sex workers, like you mentioned. Um, you know, we, we get treated really, really bad all the time, and there are often no support systems out there, like, to, to help us. I, I get pretty much harassed every day by people who hate sex workers, and generally, I would say, you know, at least like 90% of them, if not more, are people who consume porn themselves. 
Mm-hmm. So I, you know, I find that really ironic, really. Um, you know, being a sex worker is a job just like any other. It's something that most people, they act like they need. It's almost like essential, like if they need air or water or something. Um, but we're treated really crappily. And, you know, we work long hours and it can be very emotionally draining. And I think that we definitely deserve the same rights and security as any other workplace gets. It's just we don't really have that yet. And besides that, on kind of a more um, like a casual note, I, I, I do, like I said, I do get treated pretty poorly, but not only by people who who pretend like they don't consume porn, but also people who do consume it, people who do um, pay for porn. Oftentimes, they don't understand that they still have to be respectful. I'm still a person. A lot of the times, they'll they will say really gross things about you, you know, in in private chat and stuff. Because at the end of the day, they just treat you like a piece of meat. It's mm-hmm. important to know that while you are gaining sexual satisfaction that at the end of the day the person on the other side of the screen is a person and you still need to be nice. Um, if, would you be willing to talk about any of those uh, experiences of uh, people harassing you or anything like that if you're willing? Uh, to- yeah. yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, I, th- I think it's important for people to really understand what sex workers uh, go through. A lot of the times we don't actually talk about it on our public pages because um, it's bad for business. No one really wants to hear us complain. <laughs> so it's like a like an untold um, reality for all sex workers, really. Um, so but besides, you know, the harassment of, of people um, uh, dehumanizing you, right? Just bringing you down to your your basic parts. Um, I, I also get a lot of um, say more violent threats. So I have gotten, and this is even before. It's gotten a lot worse since I've done sex work, but I think I, you know, I, I think it's just something that um, lots of people experience online. But especially women. I ever since I started, you know, posting YouTube videos, um, I received threats of rape. I have received threats of people um, trying to find me. I've had people try to dox me online. Um, I have had people <laughs> find out and contact my parents about my work because they thought that they should know, which my parents already knew. Um, And, you know, I actually, um, a specific uh, case of, say, like a stalker. Oh, my goodness. Um, Yeah, yeah, it does happen. I, I, there is this person online from Florida. I had been talking to him on my OnlyFans um, for just about um, a year. And um, he had been very kind pretty normal. He seems pretty normal. Um, uh, the only weird thing, um, and you'll understand why this is weird later on, but he, he asked for pictures of um, just my head and up my, my nose, like really weird angles. And I got kind of a bad feeling about it. And I said no, and that I wasn't willing to, to do that. Turns out um, I signed in on an old account of mine that I hadn't been on in a year. He had been messaging me and sending me messages there for, for a year um, basically saying that he wanted to um, have sex with my decapitated head. Oh. And this guy would make art of women um, where he would take photos of them and he would Photoshop their heads on, um, uh, you know, like a trophy board that you would normally put like a deer head on. Um, 
and he would Photoshop that, and it, get, it got worse. Like, they got quite violent, the photos that he would make. And so he wanted to do that of me. I, I really glad I didn't make that. My mom, I, con- I wrote her about it. I got her help. We found out the guy's name and everything, and I, we tried contacting the Florida police about it. Um, but unfortunately, I, I didn't get any help, which is, again, a problem with sex workers is that you really don't. People don't take you seriously, right? Mm-hmm. They don't, they don't want to help you. Um, but this guy continues to stalk me every time I block him he makes another account and he follows me so we're really not getting away from it unfortunately um he said a lot of really gross very graphic um violent things um i was really upset when i first discovered the messages he was that he had been sending me for a year i can imagine yeah yeah and yeah and that's unfortunately all too common with with sex workers um and and just and women online in general it's it's you need to be very careful i wasn't as careful as i should have been when i was in my teens online you need to you know make sure that your name is not out there Mm -hmm. so obviously this has been had some very serious uh negative impacts on your personal life Uh, but Mm -hmm. you also mentioned that there was um some more positives, especially connections that you had made. Could you tell mm-hmm. me about some of those connections, like those positive connections you've made? Yeah, well, um, obviously, um, you know, while you have people that are um, quite rude, I've also come across some very lovely people um, that have supported me through the years. I have men who have been, you know, supporting me and paying for my content for honestly for years, people who have followed me on YouTube for like six years, but have been on my paid platforms for like you know, two or maybe even three. Um, and they really, you know, I, I learn about what they're doing during the day. They get to know about what I'm doing. I, I try not to, to be um, like pers- like in- like so personal that it's like uh, that I'm giving away dangerous personal information. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, but they, you know, they know about my partner. They know about my cats. They know my hobbies and all that. And it's been a pleasure to talk to them during the day. Um, especially when also stuff like COVID is happening where people are lonely and they're sad, you know what I mean? They don't have a lot of connections right now and I'm very happy to be someone that they can connect to as well as other sex workers. Um, it's, I have a lot of friends now that are other sex workers. Um, we're a very tight knit group, I would say, um, because of the type of work we're in, um, how, you know, um, rough, how, you know, stressful it can be. Mm -hmm. I think it makes us all kind of band together even more. Um, you know, most other sex workers, we try to support each other. We share each other's um, posts. We comment on each other's stuff. We talk in private, and, and we're there for each other when we are going through stressors with our job. Um, and that's it's really made all the difference. I don't know if I could have done this work without the support that I've gotten from other women in the industry. <clears throat> yeah, it's one of the interesting things because I went through just your pages as prep work just to yeah. see, and it was really interesting part of that, right, how many... Uh, other people in in the sex work industry uh, were promoting you, but also I noticed yourself, you're very supportive of other uh, people, and I thought that was really interesting, yeah. but also really like awesome and positive. That it's great. It feels so good. I, I try to do it more. Sometimes when I'm stressed out, you can kind of like, you just want to get social media kind of done with. <laughs> you don't want to spend all the time on social media, um, but I, I really try to take time out of my day to help support the other ladies around me. It's... Um, it's, it's, it's quite lovely, yeah. That was our episode for this week. Tune in in two weeks to hear a new community update piece and an interview with Yasmin Grady, VP of Equity at the BCITSA.